This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just wanted to let you know that I have started recording minisodes for the show. And if you're like, hey, Andrew, what's a minisode? Let me tell you. A minisode is a little tiny morsel of awesomeness of Disability After Dark where you, the listener, get to write in anything about disability you want to tell me about, a story, a letter, a thought, uh, a topic idea. Just tell me about your life as a disabled person. Um... Or if you're non-disabled and you have questions about disability you want me to answer, write in and let me know. And then we can really build a community around disability and we'll put them in a little 10-minute minisode that we'll play before the full episodes. It'll come out, they'll come out every Wednesday. So if you want to write a minisode, write me your thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas about disability. You can write them to our new email address for the podcast. You can write them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and then I will read them back to you. That's the, I'll read them back to you and we'll wildly speculate about them together. So submit your things for a minisode to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I am so excited you're here. And if you're a Patreon supporter and you were like, where was the new episode this week? I got super busy and I was searching for content and I wasn't able to put it up earlier. So super sorry about that. But if you support me via the Patreon, I'm going to try to make sure the episodes are done early and available to you before the air date, except for this one time. So, so sorry. Also, make sure you uh, put in for minisodes. Email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com to submit a minisode. Tell me your stories about disability, and I will read them back to you in hilarious fashion. But now, let's get on with the full episode, one that I'm really proud of, and I just produced right here on Disability After Dark. In this episode, I sit down with my new friend, Scott Jones. He talks to me about his experiences being a newly found, a newfound disabled person, a newly minted disabled person, which will make sense when you hear the episode. We talk about his experiences being disabled and queer, how he became disabled. Uh, We talk about sexuality and disability, 
it really was a fascinating interview because I got to sit with him at a period of time for him where he's learning how to navigate the language around disability for himself. He's learning how to navigate sexuality and disability for himself. He's learning how to do all this. And I think it's really, really interesting. What was really, really fascinating about talking with him was watching him, even in in our one-hour interview, watching him talk about disability and finding the ways for him that it worked for him. And I think that was really, really powerful for me. And of course, we joked around and laughed about cock and laughed about disability and made really, really kind of funny jokes around it. But it was a really important interview for me to, to do because I don't think we often hear from people who are queer and then also become disabled. That's a rarity. So this interview was important for me. He has a documentary called Love Scott, which will be premiering at the Inside Out Film Festival in Toronto next Friday, May 25th. Um, and I, we talk about a little bit about the documentary as well. I love this, in- this interview so much and I want to stop rambling, but I really think it's something you should hear. And so here it is, my interview with, with musician slash activist Scott Jones, right here on Disability After Dark. Scott Jones, thank you so much for coming to Disability After Dark. How are you today? I'm good. I'm excited and nervous for this. <laughs> nervous? No way. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't often talk about in-depth sexy stuff with people I don't know. Oh. Sure. For, don't for worry. an internet audience. <laughs> By the end of this hour, we will know each other super well. It'll be fun. <laughs> um, so... Can you introduce yourself and tell us something awesome slash funny slash awkward slash real about you? Mm. Okay. So, I'm Scott Jones. I'm a musician slash activist. Um, That's a weird slash to have. I've never really heard that slash together. I've never I heard know, musician slash activist before. Wow. They actually go really well together. You'd be surprised. I, I'm I'm researching the ways in which choir can um, be a catalyst for social change. So that's kind of my shtick. Something weird or awkward about me? Mm, I like to wear my socks inside out, and I've liked to wear my socks inside out like since I was really young, and I still wear my socks inside out, even though I can't feel my feet anymore. But I, like, I hate the ridge on the inside of the sock, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. And I just hate it, and even even though I'm paralyzed and I can't feel my feet, I still like to wear my socks inside out because the thought of them having that bumpy ridge on them just makes me feel gross. Just, I don't know. All right, well, that's... And so, like, <laughs> yeah, feelings can... And, you know, fainting feelings are real, and so it's good. It's, it totally yeah. works. Um mm-hmm. So, I actually found out about you a couple years ago, and I was so happy to see this documentary that you participated in come out, and I thank you so much for sending me the screener, because it, I watched it yesterday, and I was in tears by the end. Definitely had a good cry after watching it, which I think was not necessarily the point of your film, but as a fellow disabled person, I was like, yep, that's right in the feels. (laughs) (laughs) So... I appreciate it. and I like I just think it's really 
what you put out there is important. So <laughs> I'm rambling and the audience is like, what documentary? Who's this person? What? So can you explain to us like what the documentary is and why it came to be? And, and sure. Yeah. So about four and a half years ago, I was attacked outside a small town bar in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia. Um, and what I believe it was a homophobic attack. And shortly after that attack, my friend who was in film school flew to Halifax to be by my side and she happened to bring her camera. And so just as a, a way to uh, document what we expected was going to be a really blurry time, a chaotic time when things would, you know, um, be remembered in a different way. So that was the beginning, I guess. But formally, it, the documentary process began a year later um, on the one-year anniversary of the attack. And we took, like, a, a road trip around Nova Scotia. Uh, my friend Laura Wayne, who made the film, um, and I, and the cinematographer. And then we, the film got picked up by the NFB, and we kept filming, and then it was finished this past December and was premiered at BFI Flare in London at the end of March. Awesome. It sounds like your film and my film probably premiered together, and we didn't know because I heard <laughs> that my film was there too, so that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> um, so when you were doing this film and having done doc having been the subject of a doc myself i know how hard it is to be like honest or real when the camera's rolling and to tell the whole truth of your experience on camera right what was that like for you kind of like because i i do work in activism and sexuality and disability and so like before being in front of the camera i was like oh yeah i can totally talk about all these things and the minute the camera was on i was like oh how do i frame this in a way that i don't have to tell the whole truth but it sounds like i'm still right. telling did you feel like, as the subject of such a personal doc, you had to hide stuff, or you felt the urge to like shy away from certain parts? Um, I, I mean, at first, the camera was a little off-putting just because it's a camera and it's like something that's recording you. But I mean, Laura's my my dearest friend in the world, and and I, I'm so close with her that. And she has such a, a beautiful way of being um, w with the camera and, she, you know, quickly uh, her demeanor and our relationship um, uh, put me at ease. And we just got right to talking and, and were able to get to the, the bottom of some really difficult emotions. Yeah. So, yeah. There were definitely some moments in the film where I was like, wow. And, you know, again, having been a subject, watching the way, like, I was, I spent the whole screener watching it going like, oh, I wonder how they shot that. I wonder how that was framed. I wonder if they made him do that five times. Like, I was sitting there critiquing what they probably made you do because I was like, I remember mine. And it took, every shot took about two hours to figure out. And then you'd shoot it and it had to look natural. So I was definitely sitting there with a, with a critic's eye being like, I wonder how this was done. I wonder if he liked this part. It was... So yeah, yeah. I mean, Laura, I I'm not I'm not sure what it would be like to make a documentary with someone who's not your best friend. And so I I 
kind of have a naive sense of documentary filmmaking because she kept me involved in the process. And I mean, there wasn't what you saw was kind of what happened. Like it, it there was no. Again, I don't know what it's like with other films, but it it, it, it was very natural and organic and. Um, and she did the editing, of course, but she she allowed me to see different cuts and and involved me in that. So there was no shock involved in yeah. the process. It's that, nice. That's that's nice because mine wasn't a sh- it was not mine wasn't a shock at all. The doc the documentarians that I worked with were great, and I loved them to bits, and we're friends now. But it was a lot of like, okay, do that shot again, but pretend it was natural, and do it again, and pretend like it was. <laughs> really happening and I'd be like but we just okay so there's a lot of like doing it again being like but that's not the real thing why can't it? and so there was a lot of like illusionist happening when, when I was filming it so I was just curious when I was yeah. watching yours if it was felt the way but it's nice to know that it was a, there was a nice natural flow to it um there's so many there's so few films about what you talk about in, in your film around an attack like that and then you come into terms with your disability and there are so few true-to-life films about... There are films about sexuality and disability, obviously, and documentaries about that. But aside from, you know, the ours and a few others that I've seen, th- there's a handful of them out there. What does a film like this and a documentary like this mean to you? And why did you feel it was important to be a part of something like this? I mean, I know you're talking specifically about... Um, being queer and disabled, the in- intersections, and not having that representation. Um, and I don't know, honestly, I can't answer that question in relation to that um, side of things because I'm newly disabled and I don't, I don't know. I, I, I know right now that I want to see more representation and I feel like that's really important. And so in that sense... I think it's a really important film, but I think it was initially really important because, um, well, you know, knowing Laura, she was there to help me, and she 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 knew that she, um, and I knew that my truth wasn't going to be told in the way that I I wanted it to, um, because the the media. Um, sensationalizes stories like these, you know, and and labels um, labels them, and then the 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 court system wasn't really acknowledging the hate crime aspect, and so you know, Laura and the camera and this documentation was there to kind of bring forth my truth and and what. I was actually going through, you know, because you can't really go into all those things with a reporter. Um, no, of course, from of course. CTV News, you know, because I think they yeah. would just be in shock. <laughs> totally. I mean, and again, it was a—it's such a beautiful film. It was so, but it was. There were moments where I was like, I have to take a break because there was a lot of stuff that you were going through. That, for me, as a person who was born with a disability, who wasn't ushered into disability the way you were. I was watching that being like, what? I have no idea how to relate to this. And right. I was, 
it was hard for me to watch that and watch you go through that on the film because I was like, I don't know how I would feel if my introduction to disability and queerness was a hate crime. Right. Like, I don't know how that would feel. And so I just watched in... I remember stopping it yesterday being like, "How? what question am I going to ask him about this that's going to be comfortable? Because there was a moment where you said, you know, I feel like, you said in the film, I feel like I'm I'm dying and I feel like I'm not sure. There's something around how you feel like you're dying. Yeah. And I, I remember watching that and literally stopping and going, oh, wow, like how, so, and you just mentioned that you're newly disabled. How does the term disabled feel to you right now? Is that something that you're comfortable with is it still weird is it oh no i mean it's not weird i'm kind of like evaluating the whole persons with disabilities as opposed to disabled persons you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah uh so that i'm evaluating what i prefer um but in terms of being part of um, the disabled community and saying that word in, in reference to myself, no, that I don't feel weird in that way. Um, but I'm just like, language is, is, uh, is powerful. And I, I think about, you know, how do I, how do I want to phrase that? I, I, I like when you sent me the, the questions um, that you had and you said all abilities and I, before after in terms of before the attack and after the attack they're all abilities and they're not this word disabled I don't know does am I I'm just rambling I don't know if this is no no the real thing actually makes sense because I mean we talk so much about personal choice like for me because I was born with a disability and I've lived in it my whole life and so disability has become a huge part of my identity and I don't know if you saw when I sent you the the questionnaire it says like the little holding company that does the podcast is, that I created is called Crippled Content Creation so for me like certain terms are very powerful and important for me and it's always interesting for me to hear people who are learning which terms work for them and so mm-hmm. the fact like I don't think it's rambling I think it's great that you are are figuring that out for yourself. And if persons with disabilities is the term you want, or if disabled is the term you want, or if you don't want any of those terms, I think <laughs> it's really fascinating that we, that you get to explore that in a way that's okay for you. Um, because when you, I think when you're born disabled, you get all these terms immediately mm-hmm. put on you. And right. I mean, as, as tragic and as, as horrible as what happened to you was, in a way you get to re I think and then correct me if I'm wrong you get to re jig your identity in a bit in this way you get to decide okay from now from this point on what terminology mm-hmm. can I use in reference to disability that is mine and so mm-hmm. I think that's cool and I think it's something you could if you wanted to really play with so mm-hmm. I would suggest just playing with that and seeing what seeing what lands and feels right for you mm-hmm. yeah that's very true I would agree with that. I still get, I mean, we all get things thrown at us that, <laughs> um, I don't know, I guess, like, for me, the, the word handicapped really, um, because it's, it's like, 
there's the evolution of the words, you know, that we use. Yeah. And retarded used to be totally acceptable, and now it's not. And I feel like I, I remember being in rehab and referring to myself as handicapped, and my occupational therapist was like, no, we don't say that word anymore. And I was like, oh, okay. And then from that moment on, I was just like, anytime someone would use it, I'd be like, oh. It's That's so bad, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and somebody like, somebody used it in reference to me the other day, and I, they were not disabled, and my social justice brain told right. me to stop and like fight them, and then I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. They didn't mean it. There was I a, know. like, I know. there was no malice behind it. I'm not gonna f- like. I'll just let it go because I could sit there and fight and say, actually, my preferred whatever this, but sometimes you have to just be like, uh huh, all right, like okay, I know it's all, it's all right. I know, and I think the, the the initial reaction of like being like pissed off and like actually voicing that was like the the first two years, and then the last two years have just been like ugh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, I mean, it's hard to get to the whatever stage, and so like it's well, you want to save your energy, right? Yeah, like yeah. I want to fight the fight that makes sense, and if I I'd, I'd rather fight to get into that gay bar to go flirt with that good looking guy over there versus like. Right fighting right. with you over the language that you didn't you that you didn't know you were using wrong right i mean if i really have to okay and if it's like a news thing and i'm on i'm on the news and i have to like to correct you because that's how i want to be identified publicly all right but if we're just hanging out and you made a mistake i'm not gonna right. i'm gonna try really hard not to like or if it's someone more it's like the passerby in, in your life you know that you're like they're not in the grocery store, you know, or in the, um, I don't know, wherever. Yeah. And they're just passing you by, and it's like, you don't need to engage with that person. No, you really... Like, you're never going to engage with them again. But I mean, so, if it's a like, dude at the bar that's like, hey, I think you're really cute, and I think, so what's the deal with this handicap thing? I'd be like, all right, look, let's sit down for a minute. Let's have a discussion about why we're not going to use that word right now. And if I'm going to do the yeah. same with you later, maybe you don't say those things. <laughs> like, right. it's different. So. Yeah. On that, on that note, I want to move to. Is that a, your segue? Yeah, that was my sexy segue into the sex part of this podcast. Um, so, I'm really curious because I'm a disabled guy myself, a disabled man myself. I'm really interested to talk to you about your sex life before you became disabled, um, and I'm really asking this question because I've been disabled my whole life. And the listeners right. know that I've been disabled since, since I was, uh, since birth. So disability right. is like, just literally second nature. So I fantasize a lot about about fucking with all my abilities, and not being able to. And so I just want to hear from somebody who who once used to do that. Like, what is what like what is that like? Oh man. So, do you mean in comparison to what it's like now? I mean, or, or just like generally, like like as a as a young gay person who was fully able-bodied, when you were like getting down with a dude, what yeah. like what is like because I know I know it from a disability perspective, and there's so it's right. way more nuanced. I think when you're disabled, like mm-hmm. what I guess what I'm asking is like, did you just throw down and fuck, or was there a lot of like stuff that went in? to it that I don't understand um well, well I mean everyone has a different uh, definition of throw down and fuck 
But it was, I will say, having sex before the disability um, was a, an, a quicker process. I always loved foreplay, and I, I still love foreplay now, but I um, now it's more important because it's like a for me now it's it's more about the psychological enjoyment of it because the physical aspect is is has been diminished because of the disability um in terms of like sensation uh, but before it was like the foreplay was important but it didn't last nearly as long and there was i think more emphasis on the physical like just sensation wise right. what was going on and but I mean on some level obviously there was like a psychological enjoyment that I just didn't appreciate as much and now because I don't have as much physical uh, enjoyment or physical sensation I am now exploring the psychological enjoyment of sex does that make sense? which can be super awesome by the way yeah it's super fun Um, but but so do you feel do you feel then like you've lost something like do you feel like it's do you feel like you've lost something or that it's just morphed uh, maybe both like I think there is a, I mean this process has been a grieving process right um, and like grieving the things like I, I loved running and I loved um, biking and and all these things but now I can hand cycle and I, I love swimming even more, you know? So like that's, that's morphed. And so why not my sex life? But there is an aspect of it that, um, yeah, I think I'm still grieving that, but it's, it's less painful than it was before. And could you talk just a little bit about like the grieving process of like, cause, cause I don't think we often hear about, the minute you said grieving, I was like, Oh, there's a question. Um, yeah, because okay. we don't hear about grieving your sex life, and so like, what is that process like? What has that been like for you? So like, is it like, oh, I wish I could like fuck this guy against the wall right now, or is it is it is it like I I wish that this could happen, or is it more like, well, mm. I wish I could, but I can't, so I'm gonna try it this way. Um, okay, so grieving has been like a it's it's been like it, it comes in waves and right. it's not linear and the so sometimes I'll be completely fine with my sex life and then other times I'll be like oh man I really wish I could get an erection whenever I wanted and like could still ejaculate in the same way that I did before um, because I really like like, watching porn is really fun, you know, but I don't really want to do that anymore because I can't uh, masturbate like I used to, you know? Yeah. And so, um, and then in terms of that, that's the same with orgasming during sex as well, you know? Like, I, I wish it was a um, all-at-once thing, whereas now it's like a gradual thing and not as, like, I can't believe I'm sharing this. Explosive as it used to be, you know? I don't know. Best line of a podcast ever. 
best. It's gonna go. It's. I'm leaving all this in because it's too good, and that <laughs> might be the title of this episode. <laughs> what? I'd explosive s- orgasm. Something like, about ex- explosions. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> I, I don't know about that title, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think about it if it resonates. There may be something more hilarious later that, we'll, we'll, that we can all use. Um. So. <laughs> I don't know how to segue from that. To no, there's no segue. I'm just gonna do that. it because it's too because okay. it's too funny. Um, so, tell me about your experiences in the community as a disabled man now. So, like when you before the accident, obviously you were viewed differently, and now you're viewed, you're read as a disabled person. Um, in my work, I talk a lot about the prejudice and ableism that we as queer disabled people face, and I've experienced a shit ton of that. Like, half this podcast is basically me experiencing ableism and prejudice from people being weird. Uh, do you feel like that's something you've experienced yet, or do you feel like the community has embraced you? Oh, I wish I could I wish I wish could say the latter, but it, it's definitely been... Um, yeah, I mean... It's been an eye-opening experience. It's been a saddening experience. It's been a frustrating experience. And then it's also been a really heartwarming experience because um, although there is this emphasis on ability and and by ability, I mean an ableist view of what ability is, and like the perfect body, I mean, Grinder and um, Scruff and all these apps where the majority of people, at least in Toronto, are like shirtless and perfectly sculpted yeah. body. And they're standing up, you know, without long leg braces and... and wheelchairs <laughs> and mobility and devices. Wheelchairs yeah. and whatever. Um, it does like while that's a big part of the online dating scene in the queer community in the gay in the in the i have to specify that it's mostly the gay male yeah it's the gay community. male gaze of like gay cis male yeah able-bodied it's the gay community. cis male able-bodied what are you doing right now i want to fuck i don't know your name i'm never gonna meet you and we're never gonna talk again but can i right. fuck you and then disappear like that that yeah. Very specific Toronto sect of men. Yeah. Yeah, that. So, like, that, while that's, uh, like, heavily associated with online dating, um, the, this process uh, of, you know, being openly disabled on these dating apps, like, I, I've, I've gone are the days of me trying to hide my disability on these apps. Because yeah, it's I mean, just break, down, like, uh, break down that for me. I, I'm curious. Like, I'm, I'm very open. <laughs> I'll be super upfront. My uh, my profile on Scruff is thick cripple. Um, so I'm what? thick cripple? Yeah, did you say? Like thick. Wow. So I'm very <laughs> like I'm very upfront about my uh, about what my name, and so I'm curious what yeah. like what are who are you on there? Well, I, I, I think I'm just like S or something. My I, I don't have an inventive creative name, but like I. The picture always shows 
my disability because I've had too many dates where even though it'll be in the description, you know, paraplegic, whatever, um, in my profile, a lot of guys just look at the photo, don't read the, the profile, and then show up to the date and, you know, have, like, their jaw hits the floor, being like, what, you're in a wheelchair? And it's like, that was too much for me to handle, obviously, and I was just like, I can't stand this, so... Scott, and that was like my internalized ableism, you know, being like, of course, I have to hide my disability, and so I then outed my dis- myself, came out of the disabled closet, and was just like, okay, and and what happened was really beautiful. So this kind of finishes my first point about while while it's been like uh, a very superficial experience at times, the the wheelchair has and the wheelchair being featured in my photo has filtered all of that crap out of the picture you know and it's just allowed um these really beautiful people who uh, on the inside and outside who who don't um who love that part of me you know i wasn't i was almost gonna say don't care about that but I, i hate saying that who love every part of me or attracted to every part of me and not just um, concerned with the physical. With you know? the dick work, so if you can get it up tonight, and if you're going to be able to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All the things we, we worry about on Scruff, <laughs> because that's what, like, like, yeah. So it's nice, but it's nice, like, a, and I, I've said the same thing about my social media presence, like, and my dating app presence. Like, I'm very... I'm very forthcoming, and I think as you start to go on more and more of those apps, and you start to like build that confidence within yourself, you might find, and you, and once you find a, a, a terminology that works for you, you might play with that a little bit more, and um, it's just fun for me. I like to play with it, so like, thick cripple is is hilariously like inappropriate and funny for me, and I'm like, okay, well, it'll make it, it'll it's a joke about how I might have a big dick or not. We'll see if anybody gets it, laughs, and it's like. It's, <laughs> It's meant to be really inappropriate because no one right. thinks we're allowed to be, and so I'm like, "Fuck you! I don't care. I'm exactly. gonna just do this." Yeah. Um. I'm just trying to think if I want to go. To, I want to go to the next question or the one after it. Uh, I'm a professional. I know what to do. Sure. Um, <laughs> we'll edit this part out. I'm the worst editor, so I'll try to edit it out, but I'll probably <laughs> fail miserably. Um, because people think I have a team. No, no, no. It's me by myself in my room doing it by myself. Um, with with who's behind you? Me as Cent- Professor X. What centennial I, flame? I I got an award uh, back when I lived in my university town years ago for writing a paper on disability with the Canadians. With Disabilities Association or something, and they okay. gave me like five thousand bucks to to write this paper. Wow! And then my brother was like, "Let me draw you as Professor X," and so I forever have a picture of me as Professor X. <laughs> That's amazing. In my house. I love it. Super. Anyway, awesome. sorry. And uh, I just ruined the segue. Awesome aside. Anyone who's wondering <laughs> what the studio looks like, that's what's happening. Behind <laughs> me right now is a is a picture of Professor X. And yeah, so <laughs> that's the team. That's the team. That's the yeah. That is the team. 
me and Rogue and me as Professor X are just hanging out. That's what's that's how I'm, <laughs> this is independent podcasting. This is what happens. This is it right here. Um, so I'm not even gonna segue again. I'm just gonna go. So in your work with Don't Be Afraid and your organization, which I think is so awesome because it's just so simple. Like I love the simplicity of what you're trying to do. So in your work with Don't Be Afraid, where you urge people to not be afraid of queerness in all its forms and just to, you know, to combat homophobia and the stigmatization around that, I wanted to ask you, what are you most afraid of? Just as a, now as a queer, newly minted disabled person, like what scares you? (laughs) Newly minted, I love that phrase. Newly minted. Um, Hot off the presses as a disabled person. Um... Oh, it's hard to pick one. I guess fear You know what? I I think not being heard is a big fear of mine because I, I think I as a gay man in the closet I didn't listen to myself, so in that sense I wasn't being heard by me. And I hid myself, and and um, then coming out of the closet, like that was a whole process where people weren't really hearing my um, hearing my my homosexuality or like listening to um, yeah, and then now being disabled. I just, I realize how much even more marginalized we are as a community. So put those two together, and I feel like that's a big fear of mine, is people not hearing us, not hearing me when I voice my concerns about um, really human rights issues, Um, being able to get into buildings, uh, it's really angering and also scary that we as a society have acknowledged all of these other human rights, but we don't see um, barriers to access as a violation of a human right. And that's really angering and scary at the same time. So that's a fear is like people not hearing that. And so, but that manifests in many forms. Yeah. And I mean, it's scary too that the community and I've said this before, but the community that, you know, touts acceptance and love and all mm-hmm. seeing, that community that's mm-hmm. like, that should be up in arms with us about how we can't access these mm-hmm. spaces, when we go to them and say, hey, your sex club over there has stairs and mm-hmm. I want to enter it and I can't. Could we fix it? They go, oh, yeah, that's an issue? You were concerned about that? Oh, we didn't realize. Or, oh, I never... I know. I There was a, a, a pride festival in <laughs> I'm not going to say which one but in Atlantic Canada and one of the venues that they had in their pride guide um, had stairs up to the bar and like the majority of the events in their pride guide were at this venue and every time this venue was listed in their pride guide it would have an accessible sign next to it 
Oh no! And so finally, we went down, my, my friends and family and I, and, and we were like, okay, maybe there's like an accessible back entrance that we don't know about. Yeah, there wasn't. So, and then we got up to the bar because someone carried me up because I'm like, I'm fucking going to this event. Um, you say you're accessible, and like the washrooms weren't accessible. There was even a wheelchair accessible sign next to. Um, one of the washrooms that was up some stairs. And it was like, that's just like blatant discrimination yeah, blatant. on both Pride and this bar's part. You know, it's like, and anyway, that it ended up being a long drawn. I, I ended up filing a human rights complaint against both parties and then ended up dropping, the, just dropping the, the case because it was such a long drawn out process and the, and the bar owner was coming back at me being like well um this is his fault because and i'm like listen like if you can't see that listing that as as accessible in the pride guide um both pride and this in bar, the pride guide if, like who? in the pride guide if you can't see that that is uh, wrong um <laughs> Then there's a, there's an issue here yeah. from our own community, and it was it was a gay bar, so I mean, and that's anyway. the worst because then it's like then when we get mad about it, and we're only really mad because all I want to do is go to the gay bar where all the other gay men are right. and see if maybe I can get my dick wet tonight, just like all the rest <laughs> of you. And when the minute I the minute I get upset that I can't get off with the dude in the bar, just like all the rest of you, I'm all of a sudden the problem. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but if, but if but if any of them couldn't get into the same bar, the, the, everything would stop, and they, it would be right. a huge deal. It would be outrage. Outrage. If you, if you, if you switch uh, like our disability with something else, like any other minority, and it would just be like, I think that that voice, while it still might be uh, um, not as heard as like the straight perspective, um, others' voices in marginalized communities... Um, would echo louder than the disabled community. Yeah, yeah. It's because for some, like, and it, for some reason, disability is marginalized, but it's the last one you think about. It's the last one. It's la yeah. And it's like, well, wow, okay. Um, so, I like newly minted disabled person. You should use that for now on. That's the term mm -hmm. that I would uh, recommend. <laughs> I won't use it. <laughs> um, so, before th this happened to you, and before you became a newly minted disabled person, um, did you have any uh, interactions with queer disabled people in your day-to-day? Day-to-day, -day, um, day no, absolutely not. And I, I would say that even now, day-to-day, -day, I mean, you're one of few queer disabled people that I've interacted with in the past oof, year. Like, well, we should hang out more because I'm kind of awesome, just in case you're wondering. Right, right, uh, totally. And, uh, but, I mean, that's, that's sad. Even as a disabled queer guy, I still haven't encountered many other people. Um, but before, when I was able-bodied... Um, even less so, you know. Yeah. And my, my experience with um, the disabled community was very limited other than working at a, a nursing home 
and also working with special populations in in New Brunswick when I went to university. So I didn't have much experience. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, I can promise you that you will have a lot more because <laughs> it's a community that needs that needs we just I think we need to amplify each other and I think that we I think it's so I think that even though we're like we are both privileged and we're both white disabled queer people and I think I'm trying to use my my that platform I have to raise Mm -hmm. up other voices who are like hey I'm marginalized in this way other than you how do I you know how can I can you help can you use your platform to help me build my platform or help me make totally. sure, sure the people hear who I am. So I think it's really kind of, again, the circumstances around how you became disabled are abominable and people are horrible and I wish for you that that never happened because it's gross and the fact that it's that it's happening in this day and age still is like, what the... F- when, I, when, I, when, I, when I watched the end of your doc and I saw the the text yeah Yeah. i I literally was like what the fuck is Mm -hmm. this i didn't know half of that and i was like that's disgusting like Mm -hmm. but i think you i hope for you that with all this stuff you have a chance to grow into a new a newly minted disabled identity (laughs) um that is all your own and so I think a seasoned minted. Yeah, you there you mean, go. Like a, a, a veteran seasoned, a vet- <laughs> <laughs> There it is. Um, and what I really like about this interview is that that I'm I'm like I like listening to you grapple with this stuff that's new for you and like trying to figure out yeah. not the terminology. Like what I really enjoyed about the conversation a few minutes ago was you trying to figure out what is good for you. And I think right. as you grow into this identity, yeah it'll change for you what feels good. It's just fascinating for me to watch somebody kind of like come into that that. and go through that and figure out what's good for them. But did you, do you think that with all the stuff that you're doing, would you call yourself an activist? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would, um, I'm just realizing now with all the shit that's happening in the world, how political art is, and I'm I am a musician, a choral director, and it's become political for me. You know that form of art, and so now throw in um, being a queer disabled man into the mix. It yeah, I would say um, I'm an activist. My my friend said that if if I ever wrote. Uh, uh, what what is it? Um, an autobiography or whatever? She said it would. It should be called the accidental activist. That's <laughs> so true. And I, it's so true though. I was thrown into it, you know. Because, yeah, I mean, and you were thrust into it in a really kind of like violent literally way. a violent way. I was just gonna say yeah. that, and then I was like, should I change my wording? And I was like, no, I'll just say it and see what happens. Um, no, yeah. But I mean, you were thrust into this in such a such a violent way, and. On a totally different tangent, you as a musician, I am fucking jealous. Like I that watching you do what you do in the documentary, I was like, "Fuck off, that's awesome." Because I, <laughs> I have this mic here where I do podcasting and I pretend like I'm a big, a hotshot. And sometimes <laughs> I'll be in my room and I'll put in a song and I'll lip sync to it like I know what I'm doing. But 
super jealous. Lip sync. Come on, Andrew. You should just just let your voice be just... heard. Sing. No, it's true. Just, I'll just do some Britney Spears. You have the mic trills. equipment. You, yeah, you need to you need to sing. One time, you just for sing. you when I'm not recording. <laughs> One time. Um, um, yeah, I mean, the you know people have called me an activist too, and I'm still so reluctant to call myself an activist because I think that the word activist is, especially when you when you right. pair it with a marginalized group. Mm-hmm. You're immediately read as an angry person, so right. I people have called me that, and I I will start. To, I'm starting to accept it more, but I really struggle with being like, yeah, I'm an activist because if people think you're the angry disabled guy, then they they really do, and like not even just that. Like, so so we started a, a my friend and I um, at U of T. We started a like a a social justice choir. And we were like contemplating. Okay. She she joked. She was like, "We should call ourselves the Social Justice Warriors just to piss people off." Yeah. And I'm like, "That's brilliant because it does. It really like hearing social justice or activism. People, I mean, some people put up a wall, um, and then yeah, when you're in a wheelchair, um, because we don't have very many rights and we're all we're trying to be heard." Um, yeah, people do put up a wall. Totally, and, and those wall like it's and so I'm. That's why I the term that I use is consultant because it's like a little bit softer, and it doesn't mean that I won't be mad, but it right. means that you might approach me more. And if like if I say I'm an activist, oh well, right. then you must be fighting for rights all the time. And then when you, especially when you say you're an activist who's fighting for like disabled dick, people are like, oh, can you be a sex activist? Like, can you be about yeah. wanting to get your dick sucked and having rights for that? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> That you're allowed to do like what so so consultants a nice way to couch all of those things for me anyway there's i think there could be like variations of that word to be more appropriate variation consultant consultant cock consultant cock consultant yeah, there we go there you go <laughs> might have to change the business cards around to cock <laughs> So good, yes. I'm here for this so much. Yeah. Um, I kind of asked you this before, but I'm gonna ask it again. So okay. since you had your incident, and I know I, 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 when I was typing this out, I almost said accident, and I was like, no, no, that's not the word. Make sure you pick the right well, one. Well, attack is the right word. Attack is is totally what happened. Okay, okay. I was I didn't want to say attack because I was like I don't want to make I don't want to trigger. This. Oh, don't worry. So you saw the documentary. I did. I did. <laughs> we talked about everything. It was. So, but that's very kind of you. But yeah. Well, because I, you know, I want to make sure that like you're doing this podcast where you don't know anybody, and especially you don't know the host. I don't. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Be like, guess what? I'm gonna say the wrong <laughs> word and piss you off right in the middle. No. Um, <laughs> so since the attack, um, yeah. Have your views on love and partnership in the queer community changed? Um. Yep. Yeah. They are much, I mean, hmm. romance is really important to me, and I I think that's still the same. Um, Sex is obviously really important to me. Can we just pause for a minute and say how adorable it is that you, the first thing you said was, romance, my heart just fluttered like three times. (laughs) 
That's adorable <laughs> because who the fuck says that anymore? Who says? What's the first thing? I, what's the first thing a gay white man says? You would think they would say is like, "Dick's important to me," or like you know, like, <laughs> getting off's important to me. You're like, you, you, my manhood's important to me. The very first thing you looked straight in the camera and said, "Romance is important to me," and I just about died. I was like, "This guy is awesome." No, but, but I mean, well, you 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 set it up. You said love and and relationships, and I that's like such. Yeah, a yeah, part. I know. I I totally set it up, but it was just adorable that it was like. <laughs> That you look so earnestly into the camera, and that's the word that came out of your mouth. <laughs> romance, romance, and but I, I, so that's the same. But I think, I think now I'm living my life on such a deeper level because <laughs> no sex jokes intended <laughs> for that. I just mean like before it was like superficial. Um, hadn't really experienced any real tragedy in my life. My grandmother passed away, and that was the most one of the most emotional experiences to date. And then I got attacked and lost the use of my legs, and so that really kind of brought me down from the surface uh, very far. So now I'm I'm just living life on a different <laughs> level and so my relationships kind of have to match that now and I, I look for people who um, like friends and um, partners who are able to see that and able to acknowledge that lived experience and, and I mean there was a time after the attack where I was dating I dated younger people and I was just like, man, I just, this just is not working. Like, yes, there were some great younger people, but like, after a while, I was like, there's no way that someone's, someone who's younger than me and who hasn't experienced tragedy in this way could really understand what is going on. You know, I don't know. That sounds so... No, no, it, it makes sense. Basically, basically or whatever, you're saying that millennials need to grow the fuck up. Yeah. I'm a millennial. No, I'm well, a millennial I, too, I am also like... a millennial, so I get it. <laughs> but also, like, come on, people. And so, I, like, and also, daddies are hot. I'm all for that shit. Like, be, be 35 and up, and then maybe we'll talk about hanging out later. It's, it's my, it's, that's my jam. So I get it. I get it. Um... I'm going to be a disabled daddy in about, let's see, I just turned 34. So I think probably in about, what, five years? It might come sooner than you think, Andrew. Like, it, it, you might just wake up one day and already well, be Well, look, one. the gray pubes I'm I found in the shower have told me that it's coming. <laughs> I know it's happening. It's fine. <laughs> it's good. Um, yeah. Um, I had a sex question that popped up in my brain as we were talking and I wanted mm. to, you talked about kind of ejaculating and having orgasms and stuff since the accident. Oh, we're going back to yeah, that. Yeah, I'm okay, just going to just great. I was hoping go right, gloss over. Yeah, just go Perfect. right back to that. Um, <laughs> so I did an episode of a while back of this podcast where I talked about my, quote, gimpy genitals. <laughs> mm. And I talked about basically like my experience, my kind of relationship with my penis as a disabled person and what that means for me like is that something now 
now that you're disabled, does your do you, does your experience with your body and specifically your gonna just be frank, your cock, is it something that is? Well, you are a cock consultant, so I mean, I mean right? Yeah, sense. gonna right, make those yeah. business cards today on it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I you were thinking you. about me being a cock consultant. Amazing, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but has your experience with your penis and your genitals and, and like is that has that changed for you? Because I know with my disability, I lost the ability to urinate about a year and a half ago. So um, having to learn to be catheterized and having mm-hmm. to have it, and I have full sensation down there. So that's was that's so that was a whole really new fun. experience of like okay we're gonna shove this thing up your pee hole oh yeah so man. yeah it was a good time so my question is like do you have a different relationship with your dick now than you did before yeah for sure um i think it's it's just like this thing that is part of me but it's kind of like my legs you know it, it's something that um like my legs are spastic Mine too, high five, yep. Quite quite frequently, my legs are spastic. Um, And so, and like, they kind of have a mind of their own, and so does my penis now, you know? And and, um, I also, I do intermittent catheterizing, and I'm I'm like, over time, kind of gaining more sensation, so I can relate slightly to what you're, you're going through, and that I can feel some of that, and that's not pleasant. So that kind of changes my view on my um, genitalia as well. You know, not in a sexual way, but just like, okay, this is a different relationship. Every time I look at my dick now, um, there's usually a catheter involved <laughs> or um, or it's not it's not in the way that I used to, I guess. Is what I'm yeah, saying. like it's, yeah, so it's, it has changed. It's not like, like I couldn't imagine, and I thought about doing this, like I've had indwelling catheters and I've had you know different types of catheters for over the last year and a half as I learned what the fuck's gonna work for me now because the doctors were like oh you're never gonna pee again best of luck with your life bye and I was like oh that's horrible um so I'm trying to figure out like what on the sex sites is a hot shot me with an erection and a catheter in or like me trying to figure out what's gonna make the boys go you know be, be less terrified but also be like oh this is the reality is that would you consider doing? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> if if we could write down all of the the moments that we've experienced with, you know, sexually with with men, where we've been like, oh, yeah, this is too much, wasn't it? Like, okay, that was crossing the line for you. <laughs> you know, there's just the look, and you're like, okay, you're never gonna call me again, are you? <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, too much. All right, yep, all back right off. All right. <laughs> Um, oh my god! Yeah, well, it's just it is, and like I, I, I appreciate that it, on, on some level as well. Like I'm just like I, I don't know. Like, uh, what would I have expected of, of myself as a, a an able-bodied person going into this situation? And it doesn't soothe me at all, but it still gives perspective. And I'm just like, okay, um, yeah. Sometimes. I don't know. Just uh, yeah, I, we, I'm sure we could write a book. I'm we sure should you could write seriously a book write a own. book. Like what? Like, like I will write a book with you because you're like one of three queer disabled men I know in Toronto who 
who like is doing shit. So let's talk about. I think I know who the other. Oh wait, no. Are we? You mean one of three other than you? So there's four. Okay. I know one other person. I'm trying to so think. Of, I'm trying to think of. I know the queer disabled Toronto like the the crew. I'm trying to think of. I know that one last person. Um. Uh, <laughs> so you. What I love about your doc too, and I love that there are some. And what I love about your sense of humor, even just talking with you now, is it's so reserved, but it's there. It's it's underneath all this like this like. And I don't want to say serious because I know because I'm just from talking to you. I know that you, that you're not. But it's this like really funny humor that's like buried underneath like the proper thing to do. And right. so what I love about the doc is I watched it yesterday. And I, there were moments where you would laugh, or you would right. say something. When you and there's a moment in the doc where you were thinking about. I don't know what you were, you were singing with your friend, and you or were or my sister. Oh, was it your sister? Um, yeah. yeah, so you're singing with your sister, and you messed it up, and just the, just you, you went from being like, oh, really serious, to like, oh my god, I'm gonna, this is really funny, and then <laughs> there was a point where you were talking to the, to the camera, and you were like, you were trying to decide whether or not you were gonna stand up for your, for the thing, and you were like, is this, right. is this stupid? Like, is this, should I do this? Is this dumb, or should I just sit? And at some point, you just started giggling at the audacity of the whole thing and that's why that's why i was like i need to talk to this guy because you like the way you deal with humor is so like it's there and i i think as you become more and more like comfortable with your disabled identity disability humor will serve you super well um mm. so what i know I, i'm getting there yeah getting there. as noted by cock sultans I, I i feel like you're well on your way Oh well, no, that's like sex humor, like dirty humor, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond. Oh God, what am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm very well versed in dirty humor, but disabled humor, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not. There well, then yet, we should I'm... hang out because I can help you bring them together. Okay, perfect. That's my, that's that's my my forte is bringing, <laughs> bringing the triple cock humor to the room. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. See, there it is. Um, so, that was a huge segue into what about all of this makes you laugh? Oh. Um, well, I mean, just my body. It's like I've likened this experience to like being a new parent you know and like having a child so like my lower half is this newborn baby that like pees when it wants shits when it wants you know and like you 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 have to make sure there's curb cuts everywhere because you've got your stroller with you to get up on the curb so like i'm just like i i think it's similar except like a baby is this wonderful thing and like disability is too but like they're they're very the world's apart, and so I feel like I laugh at my body more, you know. And now I'm just like, okay. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by it, and sometimes I'm frustrated with it. But other times I'm just like, usually when I'm looking back, and I'm like, okay, that moment when I I don't know I had a bowel movement like at an unexpected time, and like I had to 
take care of that. I don't know. Right now, it's not sounding very funny, but like when I'm with my family, like I can laugh. Oh about no, no, it. it's it's um, it's. I I don't have the same condition, obviously, or the the same lived experience. Ew! I just said condition. I and I ew. ew. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have the same lived experience as you, but I also thanks to having got C diff a couple year a couple months ago. Yeah, that was fun. I now have mm-hmm. recurrent IBS, which means that shitting myself in random places. I look. I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> you've you've definitely been there. I'm I've definitely been there, and it's just like it, you have to laugh at it. I think there has to be humor in that sense, um, because th- when when that happens, there's also like an immediate like. Uh, kind of like what the fuck world moment or like I hate my life or whatever and then with time you laugh at it or like hopefully quicker you, you will be able to laugh at yeah. it or I'm talking about me here but um, yeah I don't know I guess to answer that question I'd say like my body just is is a different beast and so now I'm, I, I'm oh, learning I'm sure to laugh you are always that. a beast don't worry about that oh, yeah Yes, I'm gonna flirt openly with you in front of the camera <laughs> and on the air because it's funny and watching you get nervous is hilarious. But <laughs> so it's good that they, they can't see the, the camera. But uh, but I mean I can, so it's great. <laughs> um, so do you have anything else you want to let the audience know about who you are and what you do and why you're awesome and sex and disability or anything else you want to say? Uh. I think we covered more than I um, <laughs> expected to say. That's for sure. Um, so I think we're good. I I would will say that I'm nervous about who will be listening to this, but um, well, it, it drops it drops uh, it drops tomorrow. So yeah, and I mean, usually I have a good week or so of editing time. So I'm glad that I'm glad that it's a quick turnaround. Because I won't have time to double think what I said, and I can just have to put it out there. It's so good. Okay, great, perfect. Okay, well, in that case, if it if it airs tomorrow, then I will say, um, please come see Love Scott, the documentary that uh, my friend Laura made. Did I even mention the experience. name of the thing at the beginning? Like I was supposed to? I'm not. I'm not. No, you did. You did. Because I'm because um, I fail if no, I you didn't. Did, you did. Okay, good. But I, I I will say, please come see it. It's next Friday, May twenty fifth in Toronto at TIFF Lightbox Theater 2 at 5 p.m. as part of the Inside Out uh, LGBTQ Film Festival. And are you going to be there flirting with all the people? I'm going to be there. Um, I'm, I'm going to be there. I will be there. <laughs> with my boyfriend. All right. So, so amazing. Um... um I have no more questions for you other than to ask you, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out about the Don't Be Afraid campaign? How can they we support you? Um, well, Don't Be Afraid is on Facebook, and they have a website, don'tbeafraidcampaign.org. And we're also on Instagram. Um, I think people can find me on Facebook as well. My personal Instagram um, is at SCJNS and then the film's Instagram is at lovescott underscore film. Amazing. 
So sorry, that was a thought. It's all good. I will make sure it's in the show notes so people can just click and it's there. But um, Scott, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for being willing to come and, and sit in for this this farce of a show that I put together. Um, Sitting is my specialty. Oh. There! I just did one! You did! There did. it is! I had to say what Joe. There it is. But it didn't get the response that I wanted, Andrew. But it, was, it, was, it was like a, oh, oh, taken aback. But... There's no laughter. <laughs> So now I will I will now retreat and I will never but it was so say good. The ever again. <laughs> Try again. We'll say it again. I'll uh, I'll give you the reaction yeah. you're looking for. Okay. Sitting is my specialty. <gasps> wow, that's there. You go. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Scott Jones. Again, pleasure, and I would love to talk to you again sometime. Sounds good. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. Thanks for being here. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following... This aft dark pod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disability after dark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing, you help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities, so I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018.